From somewhere in Northeast Indiana, Mike Davidson lives. And now your host of the podcast, Mike Davidson. Well, yes, Mr. Rob Roop, thank you very much. It's me, Mike. This is Mike Davidson Lives, my podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading, entering season three of me doing this for a couple of years now. I appreciate you very much for hanging out with me here for the next half hour or so. Always a pleasure. Uh, pretty decent weekend, kind of. Uh, took the kids, all three of them, to their first ever baseball game, minor league baseball game. Uh, it was a company thing. Got free tickets to it. Fort Wayne Tin Caps. Uh, they were going by the uh, Hoosier State Tenderloins that game. They're taking on the Great Lake Loons, and I guess it's kind of like one of those um, those deals where, like, for a week you choose a fake name, or well, it's yeah, just just kind of a play on uh, you know state traditions. And here in Indiana, the pork tenderloin is a great sandwich. I love it, and they're they're calling themselves the you know Hoosier State Tenderloins, which I don't mind. Fort Wayne Tin Caps, not a bad name in itself because it's not a Johnny Appleseed. But low-key, I think I prefer the Tenderloin just because it's greasy, fattening, and it could kill me. Uh, But the kids mostly liked it uh, just because we were only there for two innings uh, because there was a big old blob of rain moving in. And if uh, you ever tried hauling three kids ages six, four, and two, through any downtown area, and I don't care if it's Fort Wayne, I don't care if it's Chicago. If, you, if you've ever had to deal with three toddlers just going to the mailbox and back, that is a juggling act. But they got free food, we got free food, and uh, my my fellow co-workers and management get to see what I have to put up when I get, with when I get home. Uh, but it was fun. I just, uh, you know, hopefully uh, next time we go to the ball game, they'll be a little older and the weather will be a little nicer. By the way, uh, before I got on uh, with this podcast and I was just kind of scrolling through Facebook feed and uh, Nicole Roberts, uh, a former radio colleague of mine, she was a co-host on WMEE during that morning show. And uh, she had uh, the rare opportunity to leave the industry under her own volition. So major props to her on that. But she still she still keeps her fan page up and interacts with former radio listeners that way. And uh, she was asking people about... Uh, favorite shows that they would recommend and the one she chose was uh the history channels the food that built america and i had i had a comment because my wife absolutely loves that show and she got me hooked about it and i and i talked about how like uh uh i always laugh at the hydrox episode and she goes yeah what a terrible thing um but uh the first time i sat down and watched that episode of my wife uh, which is like a couple years back you know they're, they're building up the loose brothers creating this new revolutionary dessert cookie they're going to compete with nabisco and i kept thinking well how in the hell is nabisco going to get the oreo from these guys is there going to be kind of a, a, a hugging it out coming to terms thing no they came up with the uh the cookie sandwich concept first and they called it the hydrox and as soon as they did that, I said, as I was watching, I said, you dumb bastards. And my wife was like, Michael. But they were dumb bastards because then Nabisco said, okay, we're just going to come up with the Oreo, use Hershey's chocolate, and nuke you guys to a very minute existence. And that's what ended up happening. But Food Built America, uh, it is on Hulu, by the way, if you, you don't have traditional cable. And by the way, I got a whole bunch of streaming stuff here to talk about here soon. Uh, R.I.P. Mark Margolis, character actor. Uh, he's been in everything. You might remember him as a landlord from uh, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. 
He was in a bunch of Darren Aronofsky movies like Requiem for a Dream. He had a role in that, I think. Uh, I know that he was in The Wrestler with, uh, oh, what's his face? Uh, the weird guy. <laughs> the guy that screwed up Iron Man too. Mickey Rourke, there you go. Uh, he was in that movie with him. Uh, but he's best known as uh, Hector Salamanca, the wheelchair-bound muted gangster in both uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. And uh, in flashback scenes, he was, of course, walking around talking Spanish. But the thing, and I want to kind of get on this, uh, because I saw this one dude, I think it's uh, David Badil. Um, And I have no idea who that is. I just saw that he was uh, bitching about how, like, uh, in Oppenheimer, I think it was because uh, 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 Killian Murphy was cast as Robert Oppenheimer, and I think it was Tom Conti. Um, uh, that actor was cast as uh, Albert Einstein and both actors are not Jewish and he's just like, oh, it's so easy to gloss over people that are Jewish and casting them and everything. Uh, Mr. Mar- uh, Margolis was a Jewish actor, a Jewish and American actor, not Latino, and he's playing Hector Salamanca and he actually had to learn Spanish, but he, he kind of had that look where he could, get, he could pull that off. Um... But it also got me thinking back to The Godfather, where you had Alex Rocco, an Italian-American actor, playing Mo Green, a Jewish gangster. And then he had uh, the late, great uh, James Caan, uh, who is Jewish, and he was playing uh, Santino Corleone. And it, when, when you're an actor, your goal is to make the character believable. And if it comes off like a caricature... Then you can laugh and point at it. But my point is, is that Conte and Murphy nailed it in Oppenheimer. Uh, both Khan and Rocco nailed it in Godfather. And Margolis was a great character actor. And I, you know, I loved him in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. But uh, R.I.P. to his family. Um, and uh, you know, if you're if you're a great performer, you you bring what you can to a role. Okay, so uh, too much, too much budget. And uh, that is the problem with uh, some of these streaming shows. I made mention, uh, uh, it was like uh, a few podcasts back, Secret Invasion and uh, another Disney show. uh, And I'm drawing a blank on that. I apologize. But combined, they had a budget of $400 million. And uh, now that it's kind of revealed, okay, now that Secret Invasion has come and went and fans were not impressed, uh, Secret Invasion had... A budget of 212 million dollars compared to Barbie which is just tearing up the world right now that's a billion dollar box office bonanza for a rare win for Warner Brothers Barbie had a, a, a budget I think of 145 million dollars which compared to other box office uh, movies or uh, blockbuster movies uh, is low Oppenheimer 100 million dollars it cost more to make Secret Invasion than it did Oppenheimer. That's a problem because uh, was it the premium? Uh, the premium subscription for Disney Plus is like uh, eleven bucks a month, and they're losing stream. Uh, they're losing viewers left and right, actually. And uh, you have other shows on this platform. You have the promotional budgets for these shows. Uh, you have the actual movies that go into theaters that aren't making the money that they're supposed to. And you're just wondering, how does this, how does this 
operation that loses viewers, can't keep shows that they produce on. I mean, Willow came and went too. That was on for like a couple of months on Disney. Nobody watched it and they yanked it. Like it, it doesn't exist anymore. How does this make money? How do you justify spending over $200 million for a six episode series that left fans cold, that fans weren't interested in watching? And it kind of comes goes back to um, some of the issues that uh, they're having with the writers and actors strike right now. Uh, you know, dwindling uh, residuals, not making the money they should be on shows and everything, and they want more of the streaming pie. Well, there may not be enough of that streaming pie to go around, even if you're to convince somebody like a Bob Iger to take a pay cut and put more into the kitty. There still wouldn't be enough to go around. You'd be, you know robbing Paul to pay Peter and hoping that uh, Johnny, Sue, and everybody still subscribes to the streaming platform. And this is kind of the thing that they keep running into. But Secret Invasion, $212 million for that turd. That's bad. Uh, Barbie can do no wrong, but I mean, to each their own. If you like or dislike a movie, that's totally up to you because you're the person that sits through the movie you're the one that kind of uh, knows what they can tolerate. Uh, Mark Maron, uh, uh, Maron, uh, he runs a, a podcast called What the F. I guess I think he was a writer at one point for Letterman or something, but uh, he says basically uh, if that Barbie is a masterpiece. It's beyond reproach, and any man who criticizes it is uncomfortable and sexist and all the other fun stuff. And my and I all I can say to Mark is, dude, I can't hate something that I'm not going to watch. It's not geared toward me. And if you're going to guilt trip me into watching something, it just makes me all the more not want to watch something. You know, it, peer pressure uh, to watch this movie. I mean, if I could resist... I resisted seeing Titanic. Goddamn, for maybe 25 years. I finally broke down and watched, I think, maybe a week before Lana was born. And I just kind of shrugged. I was like, okay, it's it's all right, I guess. Suppose. Made a lot of money. A lot of girls went and watched it. A lot of guys couldn't be bothered with it. And I think that's kind of the thing with Barbie, too. Is like, this is for females. And I'm sorry. I just don't see myself as a Ken. Uh, mostly because I have accurate anatomy. By the way, uh, kind of going back to streaming here. Uh talking about Disney's problems, Max has lost a couple million subscribers due to the sole transitioning thing. Uh, it went from HBO Max to Max, and uh, it, it, it was bragging about how on the first day it retained 70% of its subscribers. And uh, the way I read it, it was kind of botched from the word go because they were transitioning everything from one app to the next when they could have just renamed the app. That's kind of a problem, right? Um <laughs> Again, how are you going to make money with these things? Um, it, see, it, it, you look at guys like Tom Cruise and, and James Cameron and even Christopher Nolan who rebelled against Warner Brothers uh, during the pandemic when they were saying, yeah, we, we're going to make, try to do everything you know, through the streamer, seeing if we can make more money through it. And he's just like, no, you still have to put butts in the seats. I mean, he's doing that with a three-hour movie about a nuclear physicist for crying out loud. And I'm going to draw a, a little parallel to uh, some of the idiots writing on streaming shows like Secret Invasion and uh, The Witcher. I, I, I've never gotten into The Witcher. I know a lot of people uh, who are fans of the show 
or were because uh, they like the books, the games, and all that. And Henry Cavill, I mean, the poor bastard cannot catch a break when it comes to getting on an intellectual property. Like, you know, he's he's gone from The Witcher. He's not going to be Superman anymore. Um, I, th- I still think the dude would make an excellent James Bond. But, uh, you know, he, he said that, uh, you know, he had some displeasure with some of the ways uh, the show was being written, and now he's been written out, and one of the Hemsworths or something is on the show. But the writers and creators in Hollywood have a disdain for the fans. They're blaming the show's woes on fans. The creators behind Secret Invasion are blaming the fans. And I think the, sh- uh, the showrunner for that one was saying, I expect death threats, but I... Dude, if um, if a bear craps in the woods and no one's there to you know see it, did he really crap in the woods? I mean, at least you can't smell it. Uh, so I don't know where he's coming from on that. But the showrunner for, um, uh, for for Witcher, man, this one takes the cake. They said they had to kind of change up the material and sort of d- dumb it down for an audience addicted to YouTube and TikTok. And again. Christopher Nolan's out there killing it. Granted, under the shadow of Barbie, but he's he's made, he's proven his worth with a three-hour movie about a nuclear physicist, a historical biopic, uh, biopic I might add. And you got showrunners trying to cater to people that have the attention span of goldfish, uh, not treating the actual fans of the series with any seriousness whatsoever, because they're looking for a mythical uh, modern audience. That doesn't exist. If if you're writing to, uh, for people with the attention span of Goldfish, they're not going to come to your streamer and watch the damn show. If you're alienating your fans, they're going to stop watching the show, go back to the source material, and entertain themselves that way. Okay? That's how that works. You appease your P1s, your primary audience. When you do that, it, seldom... Seldom do you fail. It seems like when you start trying to reach for people that couldn't be bothered with your properties, that's when you have trouble. See Marvel, see DC, see Star Wars, etc., etc., etc. Okay, um, last podcast I made mention about Lizzo and her backup dancers and the fat shaming and all of this stuff. And, uh, Look pretty bad with the lawsuits. And then um, one day later, it takes a bizarre turn because, well, let me let me tell you how I found out about the other allegation. I think I, I talked about Wednesday night when I did the last episode, posted it. Thursday night, I'm walking out of work. I'm checking my phone. I'm, you know, checking social media and all that. And my friend Rob, not Rob Roop, uh, the other Rob, he sends me this meme of a bunch of bananas on a conveyor belt and uh, the caption is Lizzo's road manager going out shopping for her and I didn't know what the context was of uh, of the meme I just t- I texted him back I don't think Lizzo's ever eaten that healthy in her life then I get the link to more of the allegations and all I could muster was oh shit um, because <laughs> this is some pretty serious stuff. Uh, you know, if you, if you missed out, you know, she is taking, um, some of her dancers out to strip clubs. And I think she forced some of these dancers that were hanging out with her 
to eat bananas out of the vaginal cavities of sex workers, I think in uh, the Netherlands. Uh, maybe these were strippers? Maybe these were, uh, I don't know. But uh, the lawsuit's alleging this, and it's making her look bad. I mean, it, people are kind of distancing themselves from her, and that takes some doing. Uh, Beyonce, uh, I guess referenced her in a song once, and now uh, when she once per, uh, uh, performed it recently, she dropped the Lizzo reference. Yeah, and, and now and a lot of people are like, well, if these allegations are true, if, 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 if. And now the lawyer that's representing the dancers suing says that there are more allegations to come from other dancers. I don't know how much of it is true, uh, but uh, on a scale of uh, Chris Brown to R. Kelly, it's leaning heavy R. Kelly. Heavy. And, um, you know, this is um, this is kind of an interesting take. You know, you, you get the... Bo Let's just say... Let me play devil's advocate here. Let's just say... Lizzo is innocent of most of these charges, okay, and that this is a money grab. And okay, we oh yeah, we had some fun at strip club tonight. Yeah, oh yeah, that was great. It was great. Well, I'll see you guys, gals later. Okay, okay, let's sue her. You know, Lizzo's basically the boss of these dancers, and uh, there's some fraternizing with them at, at a um, you know a pretty kinky club. Maybe that's ill-advised. Like the there's a reason why army officers don't fraternize with uh, the rank and file, and maybe just maybe, you know, I know it sounds snobbish, but maybe just maybe you know pop stars, rock stars, and all that need to be like that with some of their employees. You know, just keep it professional. That way, you get into less trouble. But again, this assumes Lizzo would be, yeah innocent i and uh i guess i guess see how this goes uh comes out but her rep is going to take a hit and the next time she goes on tour for anything people are going to throw bananas up on stage because well anything post 2023 you just throw shit at performers oh hey uh good news the uh the women's uh u.s women's soccer team is out of the world cup couldn't be happier uh adios megan rapinoe um and they had a Piss poor showing. I think. I think um, this is the earliest exit ever for that squad from the World Cup. They had won um, four, three straight, and uh, they just they just uh, crapped the bed this year. And I guess they lost to Sweden earlier, and uh, there was a penalty kick that Megan Rapinoe was supposed to make. She missed. She was smiling as she was walking off the field, laughing. And some fans took that uh, pretty bad. Can't blame them. I, I'm not the world's biggest Tom Brady fan, but uh, I, I don't think he would ever laugh at throwing an interception, even in his uh, last season on the field. And I just, I don't. For all the hemming and hawing and uh, uh, the pedestal pushing that sports media has done for Megan Rapinoe. I don't think, you know, even even at her best on the field, she took what she did on the field as serious as what she would do behind the microphone. It was just another way for her to push politics. And anybody that's saying it's not patriotic to, uh, uh, to cheer on the U.S. women's uh, team, it's not like they were storming the beaches of Iwo Jima here. They're playing soccer. And you only get behind a team whose representatives are behind you and don't bash the fans. There, 
There again is that whole, uh, don't bash your P1s, and if you want Americans to turn out and support athletes, male or female, uh, for an event, maybe don't make things so damn political. But then again, nothing will be learned from this. Oh, um, by the way, uh, Elon Musk, he's kind of outspoken in his own way. Uh, X Twitter, Twitter X, Twitter Z, I don't know. Uh, with the app in question, if you have an issue... If you have an issue that arises on Twitter and you get suspended or you're being harassed or something, Elon is saying he's going to start a legal defense fund for users. And when I read this story, I'm just like, dude, are you really going to test the boundaries, the limits of your net worth here? I mean, I know you're like one of the richest dudes on the planet, but... Everybody bitches about everything, right? And I can do the same thing. I, you know, I've gotten in trouble on Twitter. I've gotten in trouble on Facebook um, for various things. No, not death threats or anything like that. Nothing stupid. Just uh, running my mouth. And um, you know, I don't think I need a defense fund. But there's going to be some people, like uh, the woman who uh, was trying to sue Kraft because it took longer to cook mac and cheese than three and a half minutes. Or this dingus up in New York suing Taco Bell for being Taco Bell. There are people that are going to take advantage of that. How serious is he about this legal defense thing? I really don't understand it, to be honest. <sighs> but uh, just another day on Twitter X, I guess. Um, by the way, uh, just to kind of show that uh, we're really, really, really relying on technology way too damn much on some stuff here. Um, if it's not up now, it will be soon on the Mike Davidson Facebook page in Detroit. There is a woman suing um, the city of Detroit, the police department up there, uh, because uh, she, when she was eight months pregnant, she was arrested at her own home after being accused of carjacking a dude um, because of facial recognition software they used in cameras, like security cameras and all that. This dude met up with a woman, possibly a hooker, uh, got drunk. They were out in the parking lot or something, and she took his ride when he went into the store. He got carjacked. Next day, this pregnant woman is in her house. Her fiance is sleeping upstairs. She's getting these two kids, her kids, ready for school, and the police come and arrest her. And, of course, after a bit, they, they clear her and everything. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't blame them for... I don't blame her for suing because this is just... Uh, this is creepy. I mean, think about it. You're, you're arresting this woman outright for carjacking. She's eight months pregnant. If she's got a house... I mean, there's there's going to be some telltale tell signs that maybe, just maybe, she isn't the carjacker, like getting her kids ready for school or, you know, the car not being out in the driveway or something. Um, but... Uh, it's amazing that this uh, this software, which is supposed to you know make things easier to identify criminals, can't differentiate. Maybe just maybe you know ask some questions. Yeah, and the approach too is like, okay, were you out carjacking this dude? Were you out having sex with this dude? Oh no, you you weren't. Fine. Or you can ask the dude, hey, uh, was she pregnant? I <laughs> God, uh, it's just. Uh, Another sign that Skynet is trying to screw us all. By the way, um, kind of going back to the streaming thing, Netflix has got this new uh, football documentary about Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel. 
uh, who set the world on fire at Texas A&M freshman year. He won the Heisman, and then he you know flamed out spectacularly in the NFL. Just he didn't take the he took it about as seriously as uh, Matt Megan Rapinoe did on that last kick. Mm. But um, uh, he's trying to clear the air because he's tired of taking questions about um, why you know he's not playing football. What happened? So he's doing this documentary. Now, in um, during this, he does admit that at one point he did try to take his own life, and thankfully that did not happen. But I, I don't. Uh, when I was reading this write up about uh, the Netflix series, I could be wrong, but I just I don't get the vibe that this dude has learned all of his lessons. Because first of all, he's producing this documentary to answer questions. It's not like a film crew went out and found him. He's he's putting this together himself, so he's kind of the star of his own show here. Uh, but, I, but I think back to Ryan Leaf, who also had a spectac- spectacular flame out professionally back in uh, 98 onward. In fact, when it came down to drafting him, the Colts had a choice between him and Peyton Manning. Jim Mercer wanted Leaf. Uh, <laughs> Bill Pullian went with Peyton Manning, and that was a better choice. But you you can see the redemption arc with Ryan Leaf. Like the dude did some dumb ass shit and got in jail, was in prison. He screwed up legitimately. He was the butt of these jokes, but he found a way to make himself a better man. He put the behind the addiction, uh, the addiction to both uh, drugs and fame. He cleaned up his life. He's he's a much better dude, from what I understand. I, in interviews I've seen with the guy. Night and day, night and day, but it, it took a little bit of digging out, um, and I'm not sure if Johnny Football has released uh, has gotten up to that point. Uh, but this doc, I think this documentary drops sometime this week. I'll have to look at the date on that. But by, by the way, did we gaslight ourselves into thinking that Conan O'Brien was legitimately funny? And I, and I'm being serious here. I mean, like he was a great writer on Saturday Night Live and Simpsons. He had his moments on Late Night with Conan O'Brien, but then they gave him The Tonight Show. It tanked in ratings. I mean, it was so bad they brought back Jay Leno. Then he went to TBS, and his show went from being an hour long to half an hour to being canceled. Uh, or, or no, 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 he didn't get canceled. But uh, his last show like, drew less than a million viewers or something. Like, just he kind of just faded away. He, ne- he was never real... People kept thinking he was going to be kind of the wacky heir apparent to Dave Letterman, but that never really happened. Um, but I guess during his one of, one of his recent episodes of the podcast, he was talking that he does. He was talking about how he wanted to differentiate himself from Dave Letterman when he took over the late night get, late night gag uh, gig, and he told a producer or uh, a TV exec that he wanted to change the show from Late Night with Conan O'Brien to Nighty Night with Conan O'Brien and the executive was like really perplexed and perturbed by this and he goes no it it, it stays late night with Conan O'Brien but uh, the write-up that I was uh, reading uh, from the AV club which is a uh, kind of a sub uh, a sub pop culture mag for the onion uh, they're trying to make it look sympathetic but nighty night with Conan O'Brien you couldn't take that seriously. I mean, I know it's a funny show, but you late night, 99 doesn't sound hip at all. And Conan O'Brien's supposed to be, you know, again, 
this creative comedic genius and he wanted to call it Nighty Nights. It sounds bad. Really bad. Oh, uh, by the way, this is currently linked up on the Mike Davidson Facebook page. Uh, Collider, which uh, I, yeah, I guess, you know, the pop culture website. This writer talks about 10 instances where everybody loves Raymond, a sitcom that was on for nine seasons and, and produced uh, by Worldwide Pants, Dave Letterman's company. Um, they, like, there was times where it was cringy. Like, it wasn't funny. And he was talking about some of the sexist uh, jokes, some of the most awkward jokes that they had. How uh, the the Frank Barone character, uh, which, uh, you know, everybody loved Frank. <laughs> I mean, everybody loved Chris, but... Every, not Chris, jeez. Everybody loved Raymond. Everybody hates Chris. But, but Frank Barone on that show, Peter Boyle, was great. Uh, but they're talking about how, like, you know, he was bigoted and all this other stuff, and he was mean to his wife. And, you know, a couple things came to mind. First of all, comedy is supposed to make you, you know, squirm a little bit. Secondly, this writer would implode if he had to sit through an episode. If he had to do a similar write-up about uh, jokes that were cringy on South Park, he would implode. He would literally implode and suck in as much matter as humanly possible. And thirdly, I mean, Seinfeld was all about cringe. That was in Seinfeld's classic sitcom. Everybody Loves Raymond is basically the Seinfeld of, of family sitcoms. Basically, it's like, what if we took a show like uh, Full House, but, you know, made it funny? Uh <laughs> And, and they wonder why people don't give a shit about the writer's strike right now. There's just, there isn't any of that quality that there used to be. A um, couple of quick things. Uh, first of all, Florida Steakhouse selling a $69 vegan steak. The F.U. Filet Mignon at Charlie's Steakhouse. Imagine paying $69 for a salad. Again, it's cosplay for vegans who are in denial. And in Mexico, El Salvador, and many parts of Latin America, because Barbie is so damn big, they're selling Barbie caskets. You can be buried in a coffin that is bright pink, and uh, you can uh, rest like Barbie will rest, as the, uh, the sales manual says. Uh, the Barbie dream hearse is sold separately. With that, all that said and done, I'm done. Until next time, stay fresh. You've been listening to Mike Davidson Live. Be sure to check him out on social media. Like him at facebook.com backslash mdavidsonlives. Follow him on Twitter. Look for at Davidson Lives.